In ancient India, there are two main epics, stories, that are told and have been told for thousands of years, which are extremely detailed narratives about the inner journey of spiritual transformation that are expressed mythologically as narrative dramas. In the same way that in the West, the old narratives of the ancient Greeks, like Homer, the Iliad, and the Odyssey, they are spiritual stories that are meant for our inner development, not to be taken literally, even though they are, in fact, based on historical realities. The same is true of the Old Testament and the New Testament. They need to be understood as archetypes. And the same archetypes exist in all of these stories cross-culturally. The same structures. So, for example, we can see the Christian trinity in many ways in both the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, these two epics. In the Ramayana, it is Rama, God the Father, and Sita, who is the soul, the Holy Spirit, who goes into exile at some point, captured by the demonic forces. And then you have the son, Hanuman, who is a monkey god. Very odd. Why would they choose a monkey god to represent the sun? And it's because the human being in the state of ego consciousness is a monkey. Its monkey mind is always chattering. Its interests are mainly in food and sex. And it is wild and will not come under discipline. So the monkey is a wonderful metaphor. And yet this monkey, Hanuman, becomes divine. He becomes dedicated to Rama and ends up reconnecting Rama and Sita. And so the whole trinity becomes one again. This is the same story of the Bhagavad Gita, or the, which is part of the Mahabharata, and the story of Krishna and the great battle in Kurukshetra. Now, Krishna, which, by the way, is the same signifier as Christo in Greek, Christ in English, same archetype. This is the only begotten Son. And that only begotten Son is your own real self. And so Krishna plays the part of the Son, but also plays the part of the Holy Spirit because he's in the chariot of Arjuna, who is the warrior. Krishna doesn't fight, but he tells Arjuna, fight the battle. You have to defeat Maya. I'll be with you, but you must do the battling against Maya. And Arjuna becomes the great warrior. He's the Hanuman in this version of the tale, and he attains liberation at the end. And he goes to the father, which is Vishnu. Krishna is the avatar, as the son, the incarnation of Vishnu, the father. But they are one. Same story. We're all familiar with that story. 
And in the Gita, at the end of chapter 9, the last shloka of the ninth chapter, there's a, a verse that starts out with the words, Man Manabhava. And I remember when I first heard this in Sanskrit in India, I thought I heard the words, Man Manabhava. Man, man above sounded just like that. I thought, ah, oh, man, there's a man above. Pay attention. And what those words mean is, it's Krishna speaking, fix your mind on me. Merge your mind into the mind of God. And the shloka goes on, that if you do that, you will come to me. You will realize your oneness with me. This is the promise. And Arjuna says that it's at the moment when there is adharma, incorrect dharma, when the world has become degraded, corrupt, out of order, that Krishna reappears. Or some version thereof. It may be Buddha, it may be Shankaracharya. It, it will be a new version of the dharma that will enable you to reach oneness with God again so that the earth can be brought back into its highest order. And because everything is consciousness, when we humans are in order, in sync with God, the world transforms. Because it's not as if we are separate from the world. The world is an expression and a projection of the self. When the self is out of order, when we are in false consciousness, the world shakes, literally. Earthquakes happen. Storms happen. All of the things happening geophysically, the climate change, etc., is a projection of what's happening within us, within our collective consciousness. Everyone is shaking. Everyone is inconsistent. People are not dependable anymore. People cannot be relied upon. People are cracking, fracturing. And they are filled with storms of maya, of desire, of fear, of anger. All the lower chakra storms are invading our being and this is being expressed by Gaia at the level of our collective consciousness. And so we must bring ourselves back into peace and through that act of inner peace we create a network of peace, an energy field of peace that gradually enables the entire planet to return to order because there is a relationship, a direct correspondence between the inner microcosm and the outer macrocosm. This all used to be understood in the ancient world, in every culture, and it has been lost. What we have gained in terms of technology of the outer type was at the expense of understanding the inner world and the relationship, the real relationship of the meaning, of the connection, the correspondence between inner and outer, above and below. And it is that higher consciousness that we must return to for our own sake, for our own salvation, and for the restoration of harmony and peace on our planet. And now it's reaching extreme conditions of disorder extreme conditions of darkness, negativity. And so it can't go much further in that direction. And the pendulum must swing in the other direction. But it can only do so if we are swinging 
toward God. And that's what we're doing here in our meditations. When we are united with that God consciousness in a state of love, in a state of silence, and we abide in it so that it will be transmitted consistently out there to the world, then we provide a kind of energy that is currently lacking in the world. The very energy of God consciousness is what sustains the world in its capacity to exist. And without that, we become extinct, very literally, very factually, not metaphorically. And that is why it is said that God stands for G-O-D is generation, operation, destruction, creation, sustenance, dissolution. And we are now in a point where our current world cannot be sustained any longer because of the lack of love, the shortage of that power that makes people want to live and provides a secure community in which to grow up, in which to thrive. And so the death drive, the negative drive, has taken over. We must shift that by conquering our own internal death drive, our negativity, our angers, our fears our ego consciousness and its craving for instant gratification rather than for sublimation and the attainment of God consciousness. In that willingness to sacrifice the lower so that we achieve the higher, we become Krishna, we become Buddha, we become the Messiah, we become part of that movement of energy that transforms the planet. So that's what we're doing when we meditate. So let's be in that state of inner silence in which we are centered in God consciousness. And all you have to do is not do anything at all, but just be. Silence the mind, merge it in the center of your being, and you will find there, there is peace already. There is silence. There is serenity. And when you go deep into that serenity, you'll find healing love. You'll find light. You'll find bliss. It's all there. You don't have to bring it in. It's there. It's who you are. But you have to stop believing you're an ego. You have to stop believing in the history of that ego. You have to stop believing you're unworthy and that you're guilty and that you are somehow out of the field of God's love. And all the stories people tell themselves that they're not good enough, they don't deserve to be in the bliss. All of that is part of the delusion of the ego. Do not fall for that delusion. Free yourself from the yoga with the superego voice that tells you you're not good enough and be in yoga with God who tells you you are indeed not only good enough, but you are the manifestation of God herself. Be that, realize it, and liberation is here for you now. Let's meditate.